0: Listener discretion is strongly advised. Sometimes this podcast contains themes of a sexual nature in relation to the crimes that we talk about. This podcast contains triggers such as violence and or abuse, and sometimes contains adult language. Listener discretion is advised. This is If I Go Missing, a podcast where we tell the stories of those who have gone missing so that they aren't forgotten, and maybe just maybe, we can help bring them the justice they deserve. I am your host, Megan.
1: And I'm your co-host, Lynn. Are you ready to dive into another story?
0: Always. Let's do it. Let's go. If you want to hear more stories of missing planes and missing ships, Don't miss the all-new podcast coming from me. I will be hosting a brand new show that talks about the mysterious ships and planes that just seem to vanish at sea. I will be bringing you the all-new podcast called Vanished by Air and Sea. Hi everyone, and goodness am I beyond excited about the story we're about to tell today the story about? An Italian physicist who mysteriously disappeared not long after working on a grant with another German physicist right before the start of World War II. Well, that
1: sounds really interesting. Um, I'm ready if you are.
0: I'm always ready. Let's do this. So before we jump into the case, I'm going to tell you a little bit about him. Ettore Majorana was born on August 5th of 1906 in Catania, Sicily. If you guys know anything about physics, number one, Lord bless you. Number two, I hope you understand it more than I did when they made me take it back in high school. In between texting in class and whining because I didn't understand the math behind the physics, one thing I did pick up was the basic laws. One of the basic laws of physics is that nothing is lost and everything is created. Nothing disappears, and yet one of the top physicists in the world just vanished without a trace. This is the story of
1: Ettore Majorana. I'm just amazed you picked up something after all. Apparently you didn't pay much attention. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Okay, I like that answer. (laughs)
0: All jokes at my expense aside, here we go. Our story begins on August 5th of 1906 when a man named Ettore Majorana was born in Catania, Sicily. Ettore was born into a family with a rich scientific, technological, and political heritage. The extended Majorana family included renowned scientists, jurists, members of the Italian parliament, and university chancellors. Ettore was extremely mathematically gifted, and he was very, very young when he joined Enrico Fermi's team in Rome as one of the Via Penza Perna boys, who took the name from the street address of their laboratory.
1: Well, that sounds like a bunch of scientists. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. They are brilliant book sense. <laughs> God bless them.
0: And the best they could come up with was the Villa Penza pair and the boys.
1: The street they were on. I mean, they could really come up with a name if they'd been on the wrong street. <laughs> I mean, think about it. There are a lot of names of streets you really don't <laughs> want to go stay yourself. <laughs> Seriously. Oh. It, it really shows their brilliance, to be honest with you. Ettore
0: began his university studies in engineering in 1923, but switched to physics in 1928, at the urging of Emilio Sergei. Emilio was an Italian-American physicist who discovered the elements technetium and acetine. He also discovered the antiproton, a subatomic antiparticle, for which he was awarded the Nobel Prize in Physics in 1959.
1: Okay, we can't even say half these words. No wonder they just picked the street name as their little group name. (laughs) 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 This is hard. Is that not um, something? Plans it out right there for you.
0: Yeah, but they should have had one hell of a vocabulary. (laughs) I mean, I'm sorry. If they can pronounce these words.
1: (laughs) Which was part of the problem.
0: (laughs) Ettore quickly became one of the most renowned and respected physicists of his time. And pretty young, too. He was only 31 years old. Yeah, definitely. The reason no one remembers him is because he rarely published his work. For example, in 1932, he realized that the nucleus of an atom was made up of protons and a neutral particle we now know as neutrons. Today, it is one of the first things they teach you in a chemistry class, and I actually do remember this, so don't even start in on me.
1: I remember that from pounding it in your head studying.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, you know, it takes a village. Amen. Amen. Ettore's findings were huge, but he sat on his notes and refused to publish them. This made way for James Chadwick to discover the neutron less than a month later. This discovery would also win Chadwick
1: a Nobel Prize. I actually remember the name. Chadwick. Wow. Yeah, I told you we studied a lot. I don't remember that. (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. Well, some of us did. (laughs) I guess when you do high school twice, you kind of get it. <laughs>
0: you, see, you didn't remember out of the first time either.
1: <laughs> I didn't do this stuff. Man, this is smart crap.
0: Uh, hey, I didn't take honors physics. I quit after some other type of honors science.
1: No, no one
0: did no honors science for nothing in the I world. I took honors science right up until it got hard. <laughs> <laughs> then, Warner Heisenberg theorized that the nucleus of an atom is made up of protons and neutrons not long after Chadwick got his Nobel Prize. Heisenberg's discovery also landed him a Nobel Prize. When Majorana found out instead of being upset, which most of us would normally be, he just laughed.
1: Okay so in other words he just he doesn't need um, notoriety. He knows what he knows and he's happy with that.
0: Somewhere along the line, Majorana developed an odd aversion to getting his work into print. He published only nine articles from 1928 to 1933, and then one final one in 1937. And most of these likely appeared only at the instances of Fermet and others that, you know, made him or pushed him to publish them. Nevertheless, his uninterrupted theoretical activity during this period is well attested by his friends and colleagues, and fortunately, a large part of this work has been preserved in his personal notes. At Therme's urging, Majorana then left Italy in 1933 on a grant from the National Research Council. He was sent to Germany, where he met Werner Heisenberg. In letters he subsequently wrote to Heisenberg, Majorana revealed that he had found in him not only a scientific colleague, but a warm personal friend. However, not long after his arrival in Germany, the Nazis began to gain power. He worked on a theory of the nucleus, which in its treatment of exchanging forces represented a further development of Heisenberg's theory of the nucleus. Majorana also traveled to Copenhagen, where he worked with Niels Bohr, another Nobel Prize winner, and a friend and mentor of Heisenberg. Then, in the fall of 1933, Majorana returned to Rome in poor health, having developed acute gastritis in Germany, and apparently he was also suffering from nervous exhaustion. Put on a strict diet, he then grew reclusive and became harsh in his dealings with his family. To his mother, with whom he had previously shared a warm relationship, he had written from Germany that he would not accompany her on their customary summer vacation by the sea. He appeared at the Institute less frequently and soon he was scarcely leaving his home. The promising young physicist had become a hermit. For nearly four years, he shut himself off from friends and stopped publishing. For some reason, he would begin publishing again in 1937. He decided to publish one last paper. The last paper Ettore Majorana would ever publish was an elaboration of a symmetrical theory of electrons and positrons. Quick little science lesson: the electron is a subatomic particle containing a negative charge. The positron, or anti-electron, is the antiparticle or antimatter counterpart of the electron. Back in the time Majorana wrote about this, it was unheard of. Majorana predicted basically that in the class of particles known as fermions, there should be particles that are their own antiparticles. This became known as the Majorana fermion. This discovery was actually deemed important enough to earn him a full time job as a professor of theoretical physics at the University of Naples in 1937 without needing to take an examination because of his quote, fame of singular expertise reached in the field of theoretical physics. He gave his first lecture in January of 1938. Then two months into his teaching, he had an appointment for class on Monday, March 28th, and he didn't show up. This immediately worried Antonio Corelli, the director at the time of the Naples Physics Institute, because Some of the letters he had received the past weekend from Majorana were a little disturbing. The letters had come one right after another. The first being somewhat cryptic, Corelli took it for a suicide note. It read, Dear Corelli, I made a decision that has become unavoidable. There isn't a bit of selfishness in it, but I realize what trouble my sudden disappearance will cause you and the students. For this as well, I beg your forgiveness, but especially for betraying the trust, the sincere friendship, and the sympathy you gave me over the past months. I ask you to remember me to all those I learned to know and appreciate in your institute. I will keep a fond memory of them all, at least until 11 p.m. tonight, possibly later too. Signed, E. Majorana.
1: That sounds a little goodbye-ish.
0: You know, this would have been a pretty clear indicator as to what happened to Majorana had it not been for the note that followed. This note was sent from Palermo and it read The sea has rejected me, and tomorrow I will return to Naples. I have, however, decided not to return to teaching. Do not take me for an Ibsen heroine because the case is quite different. I am at your disposal for more details. What the heck is an Ibsen heroine? Yeah, I did not know this one either. I had heard of it, but I didn't know what it was. So it's actually a literary
1: reference.
0: There are two Ibsen's plays in which a young girl or woman commits suicide.
1: Okay. What could it possibly have meant?
0: I think it meant that Torre Majorana changed his mind about taking his own life, and he didn't want to be seen as some heroine.
1: I can actually understand that, but where is he? Well,
0: Carly figures maybe he's just delayed and he'll be back soon because that last letter said he was coming back.
1: Right, but just not coming back to teach.
0: But he was worried enough to call Enrico Fermi, the chairman of the University of Physics in Rome. Enrico was once Majorana's teacher, and despite a falling out the two may have had in the years prior, they still kept in touch. Curly figured maybe they had heard from Majorana, but they hadn't. Ferme immediately knew this was bad and reached out to Majorana's family, asking if Ettore was with them in Rome. Ettore's sister speaks with the men and tells them he's not here with them, and as far as they knew, he was supposed to be in Naples.
1: Okay, that's one way you escape reality, you yourself As tell one group you're one place and the other group you're somewhere else they won't come looking for you pretty smart yeah he's a smart man
0: now knowing that he was not in rome or naples the men contacted the hotel in palermo where the second letter was sent from he wasn't there either the next day his brothers go to naples to search his room they find that all of his belongings are still there except his passport Hmm. On his desk is a letter addressed to his family, and it reads, I have one desire. Do not wear black. If you feel the need to follow the practice, you may carry some sign of mourning, but for no more than three days. After that, remember me in your hearts if you can, and forgive me. At face value, this points to a suicide, but he never actually says he plans to kill himself. His family felt that he would also never commit suicide. So at this point, his family decides to call the police. I don't know about you, but I'm not very, you know, up to speed on what a suicide note should generally look like. But it sounds like a pretty darn good one to me.
1: I'm thinking the same thing. It sounds very suicidal to me. Yeah, I mean... Don't mourn me. Don't wear black. Yeah.
0: And I didn't know, like, a suicide note specifically had to say... I'm going to kill myself in this manner and specifically say the words, I'm going to kill myself. I mean, maybe back in the
1: 1920s, 30s, it did. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. It sounds pretty suicidal to me.
0: It does. Based on an immediate investigation, this is what happened in the days leading up to his disappearance. Because, you know, as we always say, to find out what happened to a person, you have to go back in time. This is true. On Friday, March 25th, he showed up at the university without a class to give and ended up flagging down a student of his named Gilda. He gave Gilda a folder of papers and said to hold on to them. And then he tells her, we will talk later, which is weird because he obviously knew that he would not talk to her later because the next thing he did was go back to the apartment to write his farewell letters. Then In one of his letters, he says he will hold his loved ones in his heart at least until 11 p.m. tonight and possibly even after that, which is another weird thing because the timing he gives is both very specific and vague at the same time. Because 11 p.m. that night, he's on a boat from Naples to Palermo. The tickets show the boat left at 10.30, so the time that he references would barely have the boat out of the harbor. Then, as far as his choice to go to Palermo, well, that's anyone's guess. No one really knows why that city was
1: specifically chosen. Maybe he didn't know anybody in that city. It was almost like a clean break. Nobody would know him. He wouldn't know anybody. It's a possibility. Yeah.
0: The boat docks the next morning in Palermo, and the first thing that Majorana does is buy a return ticket to Naples, There's a ticket stub proving that he did, in fact, get on board the boat headed back for Naples. However, however, once that boat docked, he was nowhere to be found and was never seen in Naples, Italy again. When police take a look at this, they immediately dismiss this as a suicide.
1: Honestly, who can blame them? When you really look at all the pieces of evidence, the notes, all that, it really does point to suicide. And would genuinely make one thing. He just jumped overboard. But as smart as he was, it makes you think, oh, that's what you're supposed to think. And he is back at Palermo. Well, Majorana had been depressed for a long time.
0: And he even had a mental break a few years prior. No one was really sure why. But all of a sudden, this is that period of time where he cut off contact with his friends, his family, and his colleagues alike. And We mentioned this briefly before and talked about it being after his time in Germany, but this self-imposed isolation lasted for about four years. Again, it only ended when he got the job at the University of Naples. So I don't think it's really too far-fetched to think that two months after this mental break, maybe he just snapped. The police do like a cursory type investigation But taking all of this into account really wasn't their main priority because, let's face it, this was 1938, fascist Italy, World War II was just around the corner. So they had a lot more on their minds. And because of this, they may have overlooked a lot of other things that are just not
1: adding up. So what are the things that are not adding up? Well, for one, there's no body. Yeah, that would would help. Yeah. (laughs) The route the
0: ship took was very well-traveled, so had he have jumped overboard, someone would have eventually come across his body. Second, he was carrying a passport. The boat he was on stayed within the same country. You don't need a passport to go from Palermo to Naples or vice versa. To me, that indicated that he must have had plans to go out of the country because he had his passport. Makes sense. The next thing that was overlooked was that before he left Palermo, he withdrew a large amount of money from his bank, the equivalent of about $75,000 in today's money. The money has also never turned up anywhere.
1: And that 75000 would take you places, especially back then. Mm-hmm. And where did it go and where did he go?
0: Well, Italian police don't think this is foul play. They take it at face value and are kind of done. This isn't good enough for his family, though. The Majorana family goes out and tracks down a man named Vittorio Strassieri, who was assigned to the same cabin on the ship as their son. Vittorio looks at a photo and confirms that, indeed, Ettore was the man sleeping across from him. He says Ettore slept most of the boat ride, and this man also says that there was an entire army battalion on board ship that night. So, had a Torres jumped, someone would have seen it. So, if he got off the ship, you think someone would have seen that too? Yeah, that's a lot of people
1: to miss everything.
0: So, they decided to go with a little more power. A friend of a Torre's was the son of a very powerful senator named Giovanni Gentile. Giovanni goes to the head of the Ovra which is basically like the Italian version of the head of the Gestapo, and tells them to get on this case. Like, don't pass go, don't collect $200, get on this freaking case right now. The Minister of Education then reaches out to Naples Police Commissioner as well. Enrico Fermi reaches out by letter to Mussolini himself, and the family even petitions the Pope for help. Wow. Despite all of these efforts, the search still seems to go nowhere.
1: Well, it was early days before World War II. It does stand to reason that Mussolini and the Pope had more pressing matters. Yeah, that's a
0: totally valid point, but considering what he was working on, there may be another reason the Italian government buried the case.
1: Do you think whatever he was working on had something to do with his disappearance?
0: No one knows for sure, but there are clues that point to a more nefarious reason for his disappearance
1: yeah well and i mean this man was brilliant he's a brilliant scientist a country could fare well from him so yeah they could actually strongly assist his disappearance
0: back in 1932 when he was at the university of rome doing research with enrico ferme and his group this was when he discovered the nucleus of the atom was made of protons and neutrons, but then you know refused to publish it. If you remember, Heisenberg published the idea a few months later and got all the credit for it. Also, Heisenberg's theory had a ton of holes in it that Majorana knew how to fix. It was because of this that he got the grant to go to Germany and work with Heisenberg. Majorana arrived in Germany in January of 1933. And a week later, Hitler was elected chancellor. Just so it's out there, Italy has already been a fascist dictatorship for over a decade by this point in time. So that fact alone probably would not have been enough to really face him. But then all of a sudden, that May, something changed. His relationship with Heisenberg completely disintegrated. Majorana just shut down, even severing ties with everyone at the University of Rome with no explanation as to why. This is that mental break we referred to earlier. Right. When he returned from Germany, when he returned from Germany that fall, his self-imposed isolation began. And it's hard to say if the political situation had anything to do with this, but when you look at what his colleagues were doing at the time, it really doesn't seem like a coincidence.
1: Yeah, definitely, and he's smart.
0: Back at the University of Naples, Therme and his team were continuing the work Majorana had started, nuclear reactions. What they found is that if you throw stray neutrons at an atom of a certain element, it will then turn into a different radioactive element. The team went through the entire periodic table of elements, one by one by one, and the same reaction occurred. They were interested to see what would happen when they reached uranium the last naturally occurring element. One of Therame's team members told Majorana what they were doing and he didn't even wanna hear about it. He reportedly said, "'Physics is on the wrong path. We are all on the wrong path." Majorana never elaborated on what he meant by this, but there is talk that he may have already known what would have happened when they threw those stray neutrons at uranium. The reason it is the last natural element is because anything past that is highly unstable. If you throw those neutrons at uranium, it won't just absorb them. Its nucleus will actually break in half, causing a chain reaction, releasing more and more and more energy at an uncontrollable rate until it just goes boom. (laughs) Hmm. He didn't want to be a part of that this tech was weaponized, it could cause mass destruction. And with World War II looming overhead, it wasn't a matter of if the technology would be used, but more so a matter
1: of when. Mm -hmm. That's why he went missing.
0: If Majorana knew what would happen with uranium at the time, he didn't say a word. But if you look at the timeline for his breakdown and compare it to the timeline for everything else going on around him... With the war, it could have been enough to cause that break.
1: Could have been enough to cause that break or cause him to want to get out of the scene.
0: Majorana had vanished before nuclear weapons became a thing. And looking back now, though, we know how this period ended. At the end of 1938, Fermé won the Nobel Prize for his uranium experiment and nuclear fission eventually became the basis for nuclear bombs. Eventually, Fermé and a lot of his colleagues would end up fleeing to the United States to begin work on the Manhattan Project, creating the bomb for the Allies, the infamous atomic bomb. On the other hand, Warner Heisenberg worked on the nuclear program in Nazi Germany. Ettore Majorana, the man behind it all, would have been a major asset to either side if he had not just mysteriously disappeared. During the war, there were rumors that Majorana had been kidnapped and taken off to a Nazi laboratory. Mussolini himself actually assigned the ambassador in Berlin to investigate these rumors. But the investigation didn't really go anywhere because, as we know, eventually Nazi Germany collapsed.
1: Is this a really, like, probable theory?
0: I honestly don't think so. If you look at the timelines, it doesn't really add up. The German nuclear program didn't exist until a full year after Majorana disappeared. But that doesn't mean that he couldn't have been there helping develop the program. Yeah, a full year after he disappeared? Eh. There could have been something else he was working on, though, that caught the Nazis' attention. Something that could have been more catastrophic than the atomic bomb. Do tell. Think back to when we talked about what he did right before he left Palmyra. Remember he gave that folder of all of his work to his student, Gilda? Yeah. Eventually, Gilda gave the folder to Corelli, and from there, the trial gets a little fuzzy. Okay. These papers could have ended up in a scientific archive in Pisa with the rest of his work. Mysteriously, though, an entire box of his papers disappeared from the archive. Everything he had written from 1934 onward was gone, and no one could ever figure out what happened to them, leaving the only document for us to refer back to being the last document he ever wrote and published, that article from 1937, the one that got him his professorship. In 1937, he wrote on an elaboration of symmetrical theory of electrons and positrons, meaning that a particle is basically identical to its antiparticle. It just has an opposite charge. So for example, an electron has a negative charge while an antielectron, also called a positron, has a positive charge. When a particle and its antiparticle meet, they annihilate each other, disappearing into a burst of energy. Majorana questioned why the particles and antiparticle have to be two separate entities if the only difference is that one is positive and one is negative. He theorized that it would make a lot more sense if it was just the same single particle gaining and losing energy over time. So he proposed the idea of a particle that is both its own particle and antiparticle. Researchers would actually find evidence proving his theory nearly 80 years after he wrote it. This begs a comparison to his nuclear research. If Majorana had unlocked the secrets of antimatter, it's not hard to imagine how it could be weaponized. After seeing where nuclear research was going, he may have just taken his research and work on antimatter and said, I'm out, man, like I'm done with this, and made himself
1: disappear. That actually makes a lot of sense. I'm not going to be the one that destroys the world. Two questions. Was the German capture theory ever disproven? And if it was disproven, where on earth would he have gone? What country would he have gone to for amnesty, for, to, to, to disappear in? Okay, so
0: after the war, the Allies rounded up a ton of German scientists, and none of them were Majorana, so that theory got thrown out. Now, to answer the second question, for a while, no one knew. Then, in the 50s, new evidence emerged that Ettore Majorana was still alive and living in one of the last places anyone would have ever thought. One day, a man named Carlos Rivero, a Chilean physicist, was staying at a boarding house in Argentina, doing research about the famous missing physicist Ettore Majorana. The owner of the boarding house saw what he was working on and she was shocked. The owner told Ribeiro that the man he was researching, Atore Majorana, was a friend of her son's. At first, he thought it was a coincidence because the surname Majorana was actually really common in Argentina. The woman insisted that he was, in fact, that specific Ettore Majorana. So Carlos Rivero pulls a picture of Majorana from a textbook to show the woman, and she goes, yes, that's him, that's him. So apparently, Majorana had abandoned physics a while ago, and was now focusing on engineering. This is how he met the son of the woman who owned the boarding house in Argentina. Both of the men were engineers. The story goes like this. Majorana told this woman's son that he left Italy because he did not get along with Enrico Fermi. The root of the problem was that Fermi was partially responsible for creating the atom bomb, which would sound about right. Unfortunately, there is no way to like 100% fact check this because the woman wouldn't disclose the location of the mysterious physicist from Italy. She claimed it was too dangerous to say any more. Seems she would have known not to start the conversation. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking. Yeah. Since there was no way to be sure, Carlos Ribeiro kind of just dismissed this woman's claims. And then, 10 years later, in 1960, he visited Buenos Aires again. This time, he was in a restaurant inside the Hotel Continental working math problems on a napkin when a waiter said, you know, hey, we used to have another customer who came in from time to time and would write formulas on napkins all the time as well. So this waiter goes on to say that the customer was an Italian physicist and his name was none other than Ettore Majorana. Once again, this waiter could not tell Carlos where to find the elusive Majorana. But something interesting is that the Hotel Continental was located nearby the University of Buenos Aires School of Exact and Natural Sciences, the same school the boarding house owner's son had attended. Even more interesting is that Majorana was already familiar with this school before he disappeared. Majorana knew of this school because Fermé gave a series of lectures there in 1934. And in 1937, just months before his disappearance, another colleague of his gave a lecture there as well. There's actually a compelling explanation for how and why Majorana would have ended up there. Majorana liked wargaming, and he used real naval records to put together his games, including the 1937 Nautical Almanac. The 1937 Almanac would have laid out all the planned arrivals and departures for the upcoming year of 1938. In that list is exactly one passenger cruise ship included in the Almanac, and it is called the Oceana. And as it happens, This ship traveled between Italy and South America. That year, the Oceana had a voyage departing from Naples to Buenos Aires on Saturday, March 26th. The morning of the 26th was when Majorana landed in Palermo, the end of his original journey. He completely missed the Oceana stop that day in Naples, but the timing is so perfect, though, it can't be a coincidence. Not with him. Maybe with a normal person, but I can't see somebody like Atore Majorana having all of these other things line up, and a near miss is what messes him up.
1: Yeah, I mean, and especially with his, the wargaming that he likes, and knowing how to read nautical information, and, and having the ship's um, schedule, their itinerary, he would know all this. He could have lined all of it up hmm So, him missing it is just...
0: And if he withdrew that money, he could have paid off the guy that was supposed to be in the cabin with him. That's true. I mean, if I'm just in a cabin with you going from Naples mm-hmm. to Palermo, I don't know you. I don't know your life. You mm-hmm. offer me X amount of dollars.
1: Yep. He slept the whole night. Yep. Man never woke up. Real nice dude. Yeah. You know? You didn't bother me. I didn't bother him. We were real good friends.
0: I will even get your ticket stamped for you.
1: I mean, yeah. Depending on how much money you gave me, we can make this work out. Yeah.
0: I will get on and off this boat four times if I have to. (laughs) Like, it can work. I'm just saying. Mm -hmm. So what more rational people think, which I don't know how rational this is, what could have happened is he initially was planning to jump ship between Naples and Palermo. However, seeing that ship may have thrown his plans off. He decided not to commit suicide because he saw that ship.
1: Okay, that would kind of make sense. You don't want a witness to that. Well,
0: he also knew where that ship was going. This is true, too. He had colleagues that had just visited, so undoubtedly he must have heard of how great it was over there in South America. So instead of taking his own life, he could just leave it all behind. Somehow, he could have gotten off of the ship without detection and waited for the next ship that would take him to South America. So maybe if he didn't pay off the dude that shared the room with him, maybe he, you know, just... Hit out somewhere for a year. I mean, the man made himself a Kloops for four years. That's yeah. not unlikely.
1: No, and he's extremely brilliant. So he, he he would know ways to hide himself.
0: Yeah, I mean, so I think he either hid himself for a year and hopped on the next ship or probably paid the guy off and hopped on that ship.
1: Yeah, I'm kind of thinking that one maybe.
0: It sounds more like it, especially with the sum of money that he withdrew. Yeah,
1: Yep. Yeah.
0: But, I mean, we'll never truly know. It's all just speculation. But it's kind of funny that two different people place him Mm -hmm. in the same area of Argentina. It is a little interesting. One of the unsolved mysteries of the world. There you go. Thank you for listening to another episode of If I Go Missing. I'm your host, Megan, and I put a lot of thought in hard work into these episodes I write edit and produce them all myself and it means a lot to me that you guys take the time to listen if you would like to follow us on social media our Instagram is at if I go missing podcast then we also have our Twitter and that one is at Megan Noel pod If you want to reach out and suggest a case, you can do that on Instagram or Twitter by sending us a DM. We also have a Facebook page called Megan Noel Podcast, and we also have discussion groups for the podcast. And the name of the discussion group is If I Go Missing, a podcast.